the heat is what we're uh, starting the show with, with Environment Canada. We're going to continue the conversation now with Jay Shaw, Assistant Chief Emergency Management with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. Thanks for joining us, Jay. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Jim? Good, thank you. Um, how was the weekend for WFPS when it comes to the heat and heat-related issues? So, anecdotally, I don't have any uh, uh, data for you, but we, anytime we do get extended heat, uh, we do see an increase in calls. Uh, heat is one of our number one sort of hazards that we face, uh, you know, from extreme weather in the city of Winnipeg, and and all emergency services uh, will feel that in their call volumes across Canada when you see those heat, uh, those climate numbers uh, increasing. And when we talk heat, Jay, what are those calls? Um, like, what are some of the afflictions people get? Yeah, so great question. So the the majority of the heat calls that we get are uh, either uh, Calls for 911 where we where there's a potential for someone that's exhibiting the signs and symptoms of heat stroke or heat exhaustion, or maybe someone who looks unwell that we might need to check on. And what happens in the heat, Jim, is uh, folks that may be considered to be vulnerable, the elderly, the really young, those with medical conditions, the heat can really play a really hazardous effect on their health quite quickly we start hearing things in words like dehydration and and it can lead to some severe outcomes if, if we're not monitoring it uh like you uh and, and others from cgob and your station uh over the pride festival weekend we were out and about and i saw lots of people at the forks and i don't think the risk perception is taken as serious as it should have it was very hot this weekend jim and I'm hoping that people took those steps and precautions. Yeah, you know, I even had a soccer practice scheduled for some kids on, on yesterday afternoon and canceled it, not just because of the thunderstorms, but just being out on, on Sunday morning, it was so um, um, hot out. So, And when we hear that, I like the way you put that, Jay, when you said, like, we hear terms like dehydration and stuff. Uh, are we too casual with that? Like, oh, it's hot out, drink some water. And then, like, how much water and, and what is needed and what are the, are the exact precautions that we should keep in mind more so than not? Yeah, so, uh, well, I don't have an exact leader figure for you. You should be drinking enough water that you're not feeling thirsty and that you're not exhibiting any of the signs of dehydration like dizziness or flushed hot skin, you know, where you'll be able to control the perspiration. Now, there's other things that we can do. The shade, when we were walking in the Pride Parade the other day, the folks that set up in the shade, they were definitely a few degrees cooler than those in the sun. So... You know, if you're talking about that soccer practice, you know, if you could take quick breaks, if you're hydrating, if you can get into the shade, take those rest periods. Those are the types of things that we're hoping that people are doing. And you're right. We do need to take this more seriously. We only have to look at what happened in British Columbia a couple of years ago with that heat dome where unfortunately there was many deaths due to a very elongated heat event. Yeah, and I like what you said there. Like, I think people go, I go for a walk for 30 minutes. This time I'll take, you know, a, a bottle of water instead of having something before I go. And and really, I don't think you can be too cautious with this stuff, as, as we've heard of. Even had a friend yesterday was telling me that he was out in the heat doing some work and, and started vomiting and, and felt he had heat stroke. It, it can set in real quick, can it not? Yes, that's exactly it. And it really, it's dependent and subjective, uh, you know, on the nature of the individual, your age, your, your overall general health, what you've been doing, you know, really, really hard physical exertion and any type of extreme weather can be dangerous. So we got to take these risk factors seriously. 
we got to make sure that we're looking, uh, you know, at the forecast. I know you just had our great partner, Natalie, on talking about situational awareness and looking at the weather forecasts. Another great website is our City of Winnipeg Emergency Preparedness website. You can look at that. You know, there's spray pads. There's You can look at our pools and availabilities of our hours. There's places you can go during the day, like libraries and recreation centers, if you don't have air conditioning. We really want to make sure that people understand that they should take this seriously. And if they do get caught with heat stroke or something going on with this this weather that we are experiencing again today, heat warning in effect for southern Manitoba, what do you recommend from uh, WFPS? So the first thing we want to tell people is, is if you think you see someone who is in medical distress, that's appropriate for you to call 911 if you think that there's an emergency. Let us do our job and assess. If you call 911 because you think you're seeing someone who might be vulnerable and in distress due to heat, we would ask you to stay in the location, keep your safety in mind, but we do want you to stay with that person if we can't provide any assistance that you can and call 911. If it's for yourself and you're exhibiting some signs and symptoms of heat stress, heat exhaustion, heat cramp, the first thing to do is to mitigate. Get out of the heat. Drink some water. You know, if you've got some friends and family, this is the opportunity for you to say, hey, I'm not feeling really well. You know, make sure that you're getting into the shade and, and then take a look and see what that looks like. And then if needed, you may need to go and get some, you know, medical assistance from maybe an urgent care. You know, you might need to get some IVs to uh, set up and get that hydration going again. But take it seriously because especially when we start seeing day five, day six, day seven, day eight, uh, you know, 28, 29. We don't necessarily need to be in a heat warning, but once we start getting up in those temperatures, Jim, and it's the elongation of the hazard that starts to cause problems. Yeah, indeed. And last one for you, uh, Jay, do you recommend people lay down when they feel this way? I hear a lot yeah, of people like they'll say, oh, I drink water and then I'll lay down. Is that the right thing to do? Well, it, it is. It is if it's right for you in terms of your own medical conditions, right? So it's about rest is, is, is the word that I would use rather okay. than just, you know, lay down or lay flat. If we have people in a medical distress and they fainted or they're laying flat, then that's a bit of a different situation in terms of putting people into the recovery position or elevating their feet uh, to be able to reduce shock symptoms. But rest is the number one thing there other than the hydration. So that's still a good tip. Right. Awesome. We appreciate it, Jay. You're doing a service here with all the other great things that you do at Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service, and we appreciate the insight today. Thank you. Have a great day. Right now, we welcome in our good friend from the Rainbow Resource Center, Ashley Smith. Ashley, I, I really appreciate you joining us Today, more so than any other day, because I understand it was quite the party on the weekend. So I appreciate you making time. It was definitely a big party. Yeah, I'm uh, taking it easy today. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine so. And I, I was I was skeptical about reaching out today, but I thought, ah, it's an afternoon show. So I'll, I'll see if he can join us. So I appreciate you doing this. Uh, no when, we, when we say it was a smashing success, let's delve into that. Um, like, is that numbers in your mind? Is that support? How do you kind of look at this weekend and, and everything that happened with Pride and the celebrations? Sure. Well, um, it was a success in that the weather was good for us. Uh, I think I heard that there was 10,000 people registered to walk in the parade. Uh, 100 and some, I'm going to say 150 organizations were registered. 
And uh, I was in a, like our float was right at the front of the parade. And honestly, the energy of the people all along Portage Avenue, the whole way of the whole length of the route, it was just, it's such a great feeling and it just feels good. Yeah, and I, I would think so because I, I think the numbers of participants and maybe the people taking it in and all that is how you quantify. But what you can't quantify it with is what you mentioned about the energy. And and I think there's always an energy there, at least from what I've heard. But I, I've uh, heard from some people that were there at the parade that said it was at a different level this year for some reason. It just was really inspiring and also just the energy was was much, uh, not much, but a little higher than, than some other years in the past. Like it just seemed to be an all-around great event. I think that we, as a community and as our allies, we see the anti-queer, anti-trans rhetoric on the rise. It's in the news every day, basically. Uh, So I think this year we really showed up, the community and allies, and we celebrated what we have. And that's that's, uh, that's what it's all about. It's about a celebration. It's also about taking up space and um, and owning your identities. And that's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> <In> colors. <laughs> and that's excellent. Um, when we talk parade, how were the numbers? Uh, the parade? Well, like I said, uh, what do you mean? Like the number? Of- well, I just understand it was the largest ever. And I'm wondering if that means like people entering the parade or the people coming sure. to watch it or a combination of both. Uh, well, just like I said, there was 10,000 registered to walk in it. That's okay. what Harry from Pride said during the rally. And um, uh, I don't know, honestly, how many were in there. I was I, like being at the front of the parade. You don't really see too much kind of thing because you're kind of early on. I was I headed to the beer gardens after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are the beer gardens then? They were great. I mean, the show was really good. Unfortunately, uh, it clouded over, so it wasn't uh, scaldingly hot like it would have been if it was today. Um, yeah, no, it was a really good energy. The musicians were great. The the entertainment was wonderful. Right. Is that a record? 10,000 people registered to walk in it? That's what I hear. Yeah, okay. that's what Barry was saying. Yeah. Oh, great. That's outstanding as well. And how about the party on uh, Saturday night? The party on Saturday night, well, it was really good. Uh, Pride weekend is a very busy weekend. It's basically one event after another. And Saturday night Pride at the museum, there was 1,100 people there. Uh, There was a giant LED dance floor that was just really a really fun uh, gig to or toy, we'll say. Like, it was a really amazing thing to be. And, uh, yeah, drag performances. Yeah, just a really great vibe. Go Ec- Canadian Museum really show, uh, showed up for that one. Oh, that's excellent as well. So now that it's Monday, and we know it's Pride Month, but Pride Week and Pride Weekend and the parade, uh, what's next for coming up this month? Uh, well, we have workshops that can you can take part in all month long. Um, we offer group rates. You just have to look at our website to get in touch with some folks about that. Uh, and these are workshops about our basically our diversity, equity, and inclusion training. So you so you can take part as an individual, or we encourage organizations that wanted to do presentations this month but discovered that we're all booked up. You can just sign up for these regist- these basically lunch and learn sessions all month long, and also it includes like history lessons, history of Stonewall, and also just queer history of Manitoba. I encourage people to check out the museum exhibit at the Manitoba Museum that we created. Um, that celebrates 50 years of queer activism in Winnipeg. And then we just have like a couple of other events spread out throughout the weekend. Um, but, uh, but it's important to remember that though we're celebrating right now, we're committed to being, um, we're committed to being vigilant against the rise of anti-queer hate or rhetoric. And you know what? We're queer all year. So we're going to be at it every single day. Yeah. It's not just about this month or this week or on, on the right. weekend for sure. 
Um, I want to ask you about the, the anti-rhetoric that's that's come up again, and and because it speaks to with many issues, history kind of repeats itself. Are you surprised this is happening in this day and age? <laughs> um, nothing surprises me, unfortunately. But uh, but uh, you're absolutely right. It is a bit of a history kind of repeating itself. But we can break this pattern, and how we do that is. We, you as an individual or your organization or your, your chosen family, you make sure that you speak out and stand up against hate and uh, stand against hate. And uh, you know what? Support your local queer organizations. For example, next weekend is Gimli Pride. You know, you could show up to Gimli and support their queer community and their organizations that support it. Or also get involved in your local politics. You know, it can be unglamorous to be on a school board, but... That's where the real problems start is in low, low down government, municipal government or local politics. And that's where representation needs to be seen. So I encourage people to get involved. And when this anti-gay rhetoric comes up again, and, and like we say, history repeats itself, Ashley, I'm wondering, like, I have a lot of friends who have kids now and, and heterosexual, and I saw them posting from the parade. I'm wondering, do you get more support than, than in times where there isn't this sort of um, rhetoric going on? I don't know. That's an interesting question, but I think what it, it's just a reflection of how the majority of Manitobans do support queer rights. Um, it, but it only just takes a few vocal voice or like a few vocal voices to yeah. uh, to really upset the things, or to be in the you know to be on the school board to ban the books, you know to to get involved in politics and get a following, and next thing you know they're elected to an MLA and then they're going higher. You know you. Uh, it's a, yes, um, it is good to see the support of people and see them at the parade, but we need to remember to be there all year. Right. Yeah. And that's what I meant. I'm, I'm glad I was glad to see it and I'm glad to see that, you know, um, friends of mine are teaching their kids um, uh, about it as well and taking them down and participating on the weekend as well. I do want to pivot. I'm almost, I, I'm almost sure that the kids are teaching the parents some things too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That is a fabulous point because I find that with our own, that the, the, once in a while they shock you with what you learn from them as well. So not shock you, but I mean, it's always refreshing to sort of see that it's not just the, the one way street and that kids know and, and can teach you many things in life. And, and uh, that's, right. that's a valuable point you make. Uh, I do want to pivot to your new, home let's talk about it how is it where uh, sure. remind our listeners where it's at and all the great things that it's going to allow uh, and facilitate okay so we recently moved to 545 broadway and that is where many people will know it as either wilson house or where clinic used to be and uh, we're sort of almost pretty much kitty corner to the ledge building and and it's good to have them in our site uh, we are all currently in the wilson house and we offer all our usual counseling and education services um, but we're on the same property. You're, if you've driven by recently, you've seen some construction going up. And on the main floor of that will be purpose-built programming and cultural space. And then the top floors will be Canada's first affordable housing for 2SLGBTQ plus older adults. And, I mean, it's very exciting. I have to emphasize that uh, more clearly that... I'm a part of a coalition of queer older adult associations that goes across Canada. And in every city across Canada, organizations like ours are racing to build this kind of housing. And we're the first to do it. We're actually not only the first to like be started, but construction is well underway. And we're really looking forward to the finished product. Awesome. I'm, I'm really happy for everybody there. And you mentioned what you do, Ashley, and I, I find this fascinating. We've talked about it before on the show, but you reach a demographic that I, I think is really valuable and important. And, and I think it's it's a, a programming in our city and our province um, that really makes a difference at that age. 
That's right. So um, for for many years, our rainbow was uh, sort of like doing education, and then we had our youth programming. But along the way, we started developing our older adult program over the rainbow. And for it sort of, I mean, the silver lining of COVID was that we were able to pivot and do more virtual programming. And it was it enabled us to reach a wider audience and get more people involved. And it's since COVID started and in those years, honestly, we've been seeing some amazing stuff happening. We've been hearing that we're literally saving people's lives by getting them out of their homes and connecting them with a sense of community that they hadn't been connected to either at all yet because they didn't come out until later in life or they had become disconnected from the community because they felt older. So, um, so now we're, we're, we've created a sense of community for those older adults and now we're going to be putting out, or sorry, rather creating housing for them as well. That's excellent stuff. As always, Ashley, I'm so glad everything was a smashing success on the weekend. I'll now let you get back to your rest. So thanks for doing this and updating (laughs) us and enjoy the new facility. Hey, thanks for the time, Jim. Have a good day. Anytime. Ashley Smith, the rainbow resource center. On the line now is our very good friend and 680 CJB football analyst, Hall of Famer as well, Doug Brown. Joining me, Doug, how are you today? Happy Monday, sir. I'm good, Jim. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine, thank you. I was thinking as we were getting you on the air, have you ever been cut from a team? <laughs> yeah, my fourth uh, my fourth training camp with, uh, with Washington was, I mean, I had an injury, but I was certainly... Uh, cut from the team. So. Oh, I just never thought you would have done this. So then I was thinking, why are we going to talk cuts with you? You have no experience with this, but then again, you have. So I apologize for bringing it up. It's not as funny when you've actually been cut, Doug. Well, you know, I had good results, uh, 14 of 15 training camps. So, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. I think everything worked out all right for you um, yeah, overall, yeah. but still, I mean, what, I mean, speak to it. What's it like? It's not easy, right? No matter what stage of your career you're at. Yeah, I mean, your world gets upended. In fact, my very first year when I was in Buffalo, um, you, uh, I spent my first year there on the, on the practice squad, and you actually get cut from the roster because you signed a new deal on the practice squad. And uh, Marv Levy at the time, that was his last year of coaching football, so he kind of forgot, after he cut me, he kind of forgot to tell me he was bringing me back on the practice squad. So... I was there uh, packing up all my stuff. I thought my pro football career in the National Football League was over one year in. And uh, then somebody, uh, one of his assistants came running out and told me, oh, by the way, um, we want to sign you to the practice squad. Uh, And so I didn't actually have to uh, garbage bag all my stuff and get out of there. But, yeah, uh, it's it's a tough situation. You know, um, when you have aspirations of playing pro football, and uh, it gets taken. It's very abrupt, right? Everything gets taken away from you, and um, uh, any illusions you have of of what you know you might aspire to be are, are rapidly uh, uh, trampled into the earth. Yeah, no, I, I understand that too, because we talk about it. And like a, I saw Mark Leggio getting cut, the most notable of, or at least maybe the eyebrow raise of what the Bombers did after Friday's um, last preseason game. And I'm like, I was a, a big proponent after the Grey Cup that I, I think that just given how he was in the playoffs in the regular season, that they could do better. They went and found somebody. They gave him an ample opportunity. But at the end of the day, it's tough for Legio, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, no matter uh, 
whether you think, you know, a, a player needs to be cut or the team needs to move on or go a different direction, you know, it's, it's still, they spent time. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of effort. Um, you know, they uh, were honing their craft and uh, doing everything usually in their power to make things work and be successful. But, you know, if you uh, if you're involved, and I'm not saying he's solely responsible, but you know, the Bombers had an opportunity to win three Grey Cups in a row. That may never happen again for this franchise. And uh, you know, he was one of uh, uh, several players that you know didn't uh, fulfill their responsibilities or obligations in, in that game that would have given them that opportunity to complete that. So it's uh, it's hard to be involved in something like that and. Uh, even if he had done really well in the preseason, it's hard for the, the team and the fans and even the player to move on from that, from, from having some role of responsibility in, uh, in a monumental uh, opportunity like that that doesn't come to fruition. Any surprises other than Legio? I, I mean, I, I don't want to say he was a surprise. I kind of thought this might happen, but anything else surprise you after uh, the last preseason game when it came down to the cut day? Uh, the Kenny Lawler thing certainly surprised me, but he wasn't a cut. He, uh, he just <laughs> ended. Uh, that certainly was. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we were debating on the postgame show after the last preseason game, you know, whether we thought uh, Legio would uh, be a, the puncher for the team going forward. And I just thought, you know, there was just too much uh, too much of a history and, and the team needed a, a blank slate and, and – to move forward with a new chapter and I didn't know who the new punter was going to be at, at that point but you know I, I put my two cents in saying I think the team was going to move on from him so other than that like I said it's such a to only view these guys in preseason two preseason games where the, you know everybody's swapping in and out like if you got two quarters in the in a preseason game you're uh, you're rare you're a rarity right so yeah. be able to evaluate everyone you know this team obviously they they were 15 and three last year, so you kind of knew that they were going to stay status quo largely, and that's exactly what happened, right? It wasn't broken in the regular season. They got all the way to the Grey Cup. They were you know very very close to doing something that would have been historic for this team. So you just don't try and reinvent the wheel in those scenarios. But it's going to be a real interesting season because there's that law of diminishing returns, right? As as players get older, they don't necessarily or hardly ever get better. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can hang on to uh, being on top in the Western Division. Yeah, indeed. Um, I know we're going to have you on the station as we get closer to the home opener on Friday and talk about a lot um, on our different programming with you and others about what the season could be like. So I did want to shift to the Simon Fraser football program. I had you on as an alumnus and, and the decision to cut that program with uh, virtually no sort of uh, effort done to, to keep it around. Where's everything sit with it? Um, because I know there's, a, I think you were talking about a lawsuit was going to be filed. How is the Simon Fraser football program and where's that situation right now? Well, I think it's it's uh, in, a, in a positive refrain. It's certainly they're making moves in the right direction. Um, uh, instead of having just cut the program and moving on, uh, the president of the university has appointed a special advisor uh, to work with the alumni and other uh, stakeholders in terms of uh, discovering what recourse they do have for a viable football program going forward. So 
Um, it's not guaranteed that, you know, that U Sports will accept them or, you know, whether they'll get it back into the Can West like they played previously. But that is at least what they're working towards now. So uh, obviously much better, a complete uh, 180 from, you know, uh, ending the football program and, and there being no future to actively working to try and secure a future for the football team just in a different, uh, a different realm be it uh, in Canada as opposed to NCAA Division Two, Right, so it, it looks promising, or are you, where are you at kind of with yeah. everything that's yeah. gone on I to mean, where it is now? I don't necessarily, I'm not sure how I feel about whether there's going to be a season in 2023. They're hoping to be able to put a schedule together as an independent for that, which means you don't have to be in anybody's league to be a, to be an independent and play everybody because, uh, you know, they're uh, all essentially exhibition contests so i mean notre dame is uh is still an independent i believe right now in ncaa division one so um they could throw together a schedule as an independent uh university and and uh play for this year but i'm uh i'm much more focused on uh you know the application towards youth sports and trying to get back into uh into can west which is a bigger picture thing right for sure and shift back to the bombers uh we have time so a quick thought on this season and uh what it could be in your mind compared to what we've uh, seen the past couple of years is are they still the team to beat oh for sure um i I certainly think they uh they're a formidable uh certainly the top ranked uh, team right now in the West and until proven otherwise, that's how you have to treat them. But I think it's a little bit of an interesting shift in terms of, uh, you know, the focus on this team Uh, in 2019 and and 2021, uh, their defense was, it was incredible. It was one of the best I've ever seen in in the CFL. And I think there was some drop off last year and I'm not sure, you know, necessarily they're going to be better defensively in 2023. I think the emphasis has kind of shifted towards making this uh, football team more dominant offensively. So that'll be a big uh, shift in, in terms of the identity of this ball club. I mean, I could be wrong. I hope the defense is as dominant as they were, you know, in the Great Cup of 2021. That was that was uh, historic that season. And, and 2019, they were outstanding as well. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, they weren't the same. They didn't have the same uh, foundation and uh, things that they would hang their hat on in terms of, you know, sacks or takeaways or or interceptions. It was just uh, they kind of came back towards uh, just being a good defense. So it'll be interesting a year later, a year older, with not too much of an infusion of youth uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, where they will be and whether they will start relying on the offense uh, to be the backbone of this team and win games for them. Because it's always been the other way. Through this dominant regime, uh, it didn't matter if the offense was late starting. It didn't matter if they needed a a bunch of ball possessions to to get things going. The defense just wasn't going to allow anything for anybody. It didn't matter how many times they had to go on the field. And that might be a different shift in, in, in their approach for 2023. The offense might need to outscore opponents more regularly than they have in the past but we will see yeah and the weapons are definitely there for that to happen so it's going to be an exciting season it all starts for real on friday doug will be with Derek taylor and i'm sure we'll hear from him and more uh through our exclusive and extensive coverage leading into the home opener this friday right here on 680 cjob thanks doug drive safe and we'll talk to you soon all right buddy thanks for having me on we'll talk to you soon